Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And with us on our Sunday show, as always, is uh, Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, and uh, and now a, a member of the soup once again, John Bennett from CQ Roll Call, who found himself in the White House this uh, <laughs> the week for the first time in a while. Welcome I found back, my way guys. back. I, <laughs> I found the uh, breadcrumbs I left uh, two years ago. Yeah, has it changed much in two years? Um. Well, the vibe is a lot different. I can say oh, that, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, the, the staff is a lot different. Um, yeah. that, that struck me. Um, but as far as the press goes, there's a, I saw some uh, familiar faces. I saw a lot of new faces. Um, but I guess what, what really got me was just the vibe is a lot different. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, you don't have that chaos feeling and it's more organized. I'll say that about, about pooling. I was in the press pool, the in-town pool on Thursday. It's a lot more organized than the last bunch. That's for yep. sure. And and uh, a lot less opportunity to talk to the president than in the last bunch. Well, there's that. There's that as well. And but this president was also eager, at least in the morning, Always. as he left for Pennsylvania, he was eager to chat and he was chatty. He doesn't hold court as long as Trump did, but he took he took four or five questions in the morning. So, you know, he was he was chatty enough. He doesn't answer. He's not. He's not as long-winded as Trump was no one by is. the helicopter, but but who would be? <laughs> yeah. You know, Biden will give you eight words where you know Trump would give you uh, eighty. Right. Well, the 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 trick with Biden I found is making sure that your questions are shorter than his answers. <laughs> That's yeah. He, yeah. Anyway, well, we're going to take a short uh, commercial break. When we come back, we'll talk more about what went on this week. Stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam. With me again, John Bennett from CQ Roll Call and lately of The Soup, which we call, you know, the White House beat. And Michael Zeldin, a former federal prosecutor. And Michael, I'm going to start today talking a little bit about, um, well, I guess a late, we could talk Bannon sentencing, Lindsey Graham asking the Supreme Court to intervene and the Trump subpoena. So let's wrap it all in a one. I guess what happened, let's start first with what happens to the congressional investigation, uh, the the January 6th commission, if the Republicans win midterm, you expect it would go away, yes? Yes, although I read in the front page of the New York Times this morning 
a tweet by uh, one of the Louis Gobert's Mo Brooks sort of uh, persons in Congress saying that when the January 6th committee ends, this is anticipating they're taking over power. When right. the, the, the January 6th committee ends, we're going to need a committee to investigate the January 6th committee abuses. So you know, whether that represents a majority view in um, a Republican controlled house, I don't know, but surely they are not gonna continue the investigation. And that means that the subpoena, which was issued to Donald Trump, only needs about two and a half months worth of delay <laughs> if, if, they, um, if the Republicans take control because then they'll just withdraw the subpoena. Yeah, so, so you, you don't anticipate Trump will show up and testify, do you? I, I don't. And, you know, it's, one always has to be careful in analyzing issues related to Donald Trump because Amen. Trump himself is such a lightning rod and you don't want to create a policy based on your, let's say, dislike of, 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 of Trump. And then you have this policy that exists well beyond him. And it's really not clear whether or not it is constitutional. It's, it would be, you know, we would say as lawyers, it's a constitutional gray area, whether or not the, the panel, the House panel has the constitutional authority to subpoena him in the first place. And so I always say, as um, did um, Alan Dershowitz and others, and he was you know, pilloried for it, which is you have to analyze this with a shoe on the other foot analysis, which is if it was your person um, right. receiving the, if it was former President Obama receiving a subpoena by a, a newly constituted Republican House, and they want to talk about the um, various things that occurred in his administration, what would you say about them yanking him there before the committee to talk about the, the, the guns that got away or the, the, the State Department person who was murdered? I can't remember. Um, right. What, what was the Hillary Clinton hearings all about? The, Benghazi. Uh, Benghazi. 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 So, right. So let's say the House Republicans take control and all of a sudden they want to issue a subpoena for former President Trump, former President Obama to talk about Benghazi. Would would we be saying, well, yeah, that's fair. Good idea. Uh, constitutional. Well, then again, Hillary sat down and took 11 hours worth of, I mean, she sat down that's, and answered. That's, that's besides the point. The question is whether or not it's constitutional to mm. ask the former president to come in or whether he has some sort of executive privilege um, that that continues on and the answer is we don't we don't know the answers to those those questions um, and so because of that even if the democrats were to retain the house and the committee were to continue this would be potentially a case that gets litigated and taken up to the supreme court and dun, that dun, dun. would be that could be a long time in the making and it could be an important uh, decision. Remember, there was a, a case um, in, I think it was um, Nixon versus Fitzgerald was the name of the case in which was a question of whether or not you could civilly sue a president after he left office 
for acts undertaken while in office. And the court said, no, you, you can't do that. If he was taking official actions uh, in office, then he, he can't wait till he gets out and sue for those same things. So all I'm saying, Brian, in a long way is we don't know what's going to happen, but either way, it's going to happen slowly if the Democrats continue and probably come to an abrupt end if the Republicans take over. John, you were you you, you were <coughs> nodding to jump in there. Go ahead. Well, it's interesting. Uh, Michael says uh, we don't know if about a subpoena, for instance, for President Obama about Benghazi. Well, we might be a few <laughs> months away from finding out if that's constitutional, <laughs> right. because I think if the I'm, I'm fairly certain and I'll be writing a piece uh, for for roll call uh, about this uh, that'll publish on election day a column about this they're going to investigate everything <laughs> I, I made a joke here last week that if, if the world ended uh, House Republicans will investigate it next year and <laughs> I, they're going to investigate everything I mean um, there's a highlight on right now of a TCU Kansas State football game. There's a uh, they they're reviewing they're, they're, they're reviewing that. a touchdown call. They they might investigate that next year. And I laugh, uh, I laugh now, but I won't when we all have to cover this next year. And but that's all they're going to do is investigate. There's not going to be any legislation. I mean, they'll, they'll you know they'll have messaging bills just like the House Democrats now. They passed a slew of stuff that that just died in the Senate. So. Well, we're going to find out a lot about the powers of the presidency and as it relates to, you know, what Congress can compel a sitting or former president to do. We're going to find out, I think, next year a lot. And the year after that, <laughs> we're going to find out a lot about executive privilege. I, I think a lot of these things are going to be, at least for now, answered. Uh, Jim Jordan is is just licking his chops and, and other other committees that have uh, subpoena power, investigative powers, um, they're all licking their chops. The, the people who were in line to take those committee gavels to be the chairs, uh, they're going to investigate Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's business dealings. I think they're going to investigate the January 6th committee. There's going to be a, a select committee to investigate the select committee. Yeah, um, I, I, I think just they'll think investigate it, his dogs for biting Secret Service agents. Anything they probably, yeah, and they'll probably investigate why Commander the new dog hasn't bitten anybody or has he, and we don't know about it. You know, I think that the door will be thrown open the floodgates and, you know, a lot of those questions and Michael rightly brings them up um, that we don't know where some of this with executive privilege and, and the, the powers of the presidency start and stop. I think we're going to find out. Right. That'll be but, interesting. Therefore, but the question, I, go ahead, Michael. No, I was going to say, and therefore John and I agreeing and therefore when it's not your guy being investigated, <clears throat> you have to be very careful to not push for things that, if the shoe is on the other foot, going to come back to bite you. You've well, got the Republicans have it. never shown any restraint in that regard. They always figure that they're going to be in charge and they're going to force it down the Democrats' throat. While a Democrat, again, this is my rant, is that you know you got a party of no heart and a party of no head. And the Republicans have no heart in this. They'll just push it to the wall no matter what, because they figure in the end, like they did with the uh, Supreme Court when they said, we're not going to well, we're not going to consider Merrick Garland <clears throat> because it's too close to the end. And then right. but we're going to consider people we like when we're there. They'll <laughs> change the rules for themselves. The rules no, apply I get, to I others. Get, I, 
I get it, Brian. All I'm just saying, because we're talking about this in intellectual terms. Oh, well, that's something Congress God. is incapable of. But go no, ahead. But, 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 we, we, but we are. Yes. And so it's important for the listening audience. I always say it's important for the listening audience to make sure that the principles they stand for stand whether they're for your opponent or they're, they're for you. Because to your point, Brian, if the other side is not going to play by the rules and you enact something that's you know reasonable if applied reasonably, but then it's not going to be applied reasonably by, by your opponent, then mm. are you better off not having it in the first place? So Correct. that's all I'm saying. That's, and at the end of the day, that's the biggest question to be answered. And so we'll go to, I'm going yeah, to shift the, the other, no, I was going to shift in the other part of, a, uh, of the, I guess this <clears throat> debacle, Lindsey Graham uh, asking the Supreme Court to intervene in his, whether or not he has to answer a subpoena. Uh, John, were you surprised by that? Not at all. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't surprised at all. You know, if he can find, I, I if, just dropped that one in on you. You know, it's, <laughs> if you know, if 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 Senator Graham can find a higher being or a higher court uh, than the Supreme Court, I'm sure he would try to to take it there too. Um, I think this is headed toward he's going to testify, um, but I'm not surprised. I mean, it's a good play for him. Um, I think he's given up on presidential aspirations, but um, he definitely is. And we've talked about why the reasons why he, he certainly um, has turned toward that, the MAGA base uh, Senator Graham has, and he knows he needs them when he's up for re-election. And uh, he's he wants on the to, dark side. <laughs> and he, he wants to curry favor with, with, with Donald Trump. And this is a way to do it. And, and I'm sure when, when he's playing golf with the Donald that, you know, he gets a lot of uh, he gets a lot of praise for fighting. Cause that's what Trump's all about to fight and loves to fight. And Senator Graham's fighting and, and Trump is Trump is, is, is the, um, is, is the most important thing. Senator Graham clearly currying favor with him thinks that's, that's the most important thing for his own political career. So this is a big way to do that. Hey, Michael, do you think it'll be successful? You think he'll be able to keep himself from testifying? So back well, up. Well, I guess a big question is, will the Supreme Court even take it up? Well, so let's back up so the listening audience knows what we're talking about. Lindsey Graham was uh, subpoenaed by Fannie Willis, the district attorney in Fulton County, who's investigating the efforts of Trump and his allies to overturn the election in Georgia. The district court ruled that he had to testify that the speech and debate clause of the constitution which prohibits Congress members from being um, brought in to testify uh, on matters related to official business, she ruled wasn't applicable. He appealed to the court of appeals for the 11th circuit and the 11th circuit, a three judge panel made up of two Trump uh, lawyers, two Trump appointed judges and, and one not ruled that uh, the communications and coordination that Graham may have had with the Trump campaign regarding its post-election efforts in Georgia was not protected by speech and debate and that he had to testify. So where we are is that the Court of Appeals affirmed the lower court ruling in large part. He has now gone to the Supreme Court saying, wait, they've all made a mistake. This is speech and debate protected. I don't need to come in. And he filed an emergency request with the, with the judge who oversit the justice that oversees the 11th circuit, and that's Justice 
Clarence Thomas in this case. And um, we'll see whether Thomas, what Thomas does. Most likely they say that he'll refer the matter to the full court and the full court will make a decision whether it wants to hear the case or summarily uh, decided against Graham. I think the smart money says that much of what Graham was talking about was not speech and debate protected and that he will in fact have to testify to parts of what Fannie Willis, the, the DA uh, wants him to answer. When do you expect to see Lindsey Graham <clears throat> testifying in Georgia before or after hell freezes over? <laughs> well, <laughs> he, he um, doesn't have um, a lot of time to get this lit, you know, get this litigated in, in the court. It'll go, it'll go pretty quickly, I think, in the court, unless they decide to take the full case and then it'll be forever. But I think that because the issue of speech and debate is pretty clear, clearer in this case than say, for example, what we were just talking about, the testimony of a former president, right. I would expect that he, he should be required to testify this calendar year. John, what effect does that have? Do you? Th I, I don't think we'll see <clears throat> testimony before midterms. <laughs> well, on the midterms, Lindsey Graham's testimony, I don't think that's going to sway many voters. I'll yeah. give you a big goose egg on that one for the midterms. <clears throat> I, I, I don't think it moves the needle uh, on much of anything. We know what Senator Graham and, and others, including Donald Trump, did in Georgia because, number one, the, one, the phone calls were recorded, at least the ones that Donald Trump made, one of the ones Donald Trump made. And number two, Senator Graham and Donald Trump told us what they did. That they, <laughs> they didn't, they weren't covert about this. We we might we might not know right now everything that Senator Graham said or every ask that he made or demand uh, that that he made of, of folks in Georgia, but we know he did it. So you know, I don't think there's I don't know that there's going to be any big revelation that comes out of his testimony that, that moves the needle, but it will inform all of these investigations. It is important that he testify. It's important that prosecutors in Georgia, excuse me, and uh, DOJ get his testimony and, and get to ask him those questions under oath. That, that's important. But, you know, I don't think that's I don't think there's going to be a smoking gun out of Senator Graham's testimony. Do you think in any way? Well, look, I guess that. <laughs> If he's forced to testify, I know Donald won't be real happy about that, no matter whether it uh, helps or hurts. Well, if it helps his case, he, of course, would love it, but there's no way that that's going to happen. But the uh, together with forcing Graham to testify and then the Bannon sentencing, do you sense that there's a, a that Donald Trump's maybe squirming a little bit under the collar? I think so. The walls are certainly uh, they're closer than they were six months ago They're If they're not closing in, they he has to feel like it uh, like they are closing in at least a bit. I mean, you know, Steve Bannon was never out. We used to tell people when we were both covering the White House every day, Steve Bannon wasn't out. Now, Donald, the Donald right. was mad at him. He was pissed off at him. And, you know, it, it felt like Bannon for four six months was kind of out of out of orbit but he came back right he was he, never out of the inner circle right. he was just on the outs in the inner circle right he was just on the outs the donald was mad at him the donald got over it the donald needed him or right. felt he needed him and um and and he was back so he was in the inner circle you know there was talk that 
that Bannon was going to run the campaign in yeah. 2020 to, to come all the way back. But just a that. side note, the, the folks in Georgia, I, I do wonder how folks in Georgia feel about Lindsey Graham meddling from next door in South Carolina. You know, he, he leaned on him to overturn the election results. Well, that's a big question, isn't it? And, I mean, yeah. And he was just the there. Voter? Right. He was just there. Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott, uh, the other Republican senator from South Carolina, they were in Georgia this week for a Fox News, what was just a Fox News primetime rally for Herschel Walker. And and here's Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott yelling at the people of Georgia on who they should vote for for Senate. It's just it's a strange dynamic that to me that Lindsey Graham has with the state of Georgia. He doesn't represent it. Well, tell him that. <laughs> Michael, what do you think? You think the Bannon sentence has any effect on Donald? Well, not directly on on him, yeah, I think it was, you know, an affirmation that you really can't thumb your nose at uh, Congress in the way Bannon so blatantly did it and not suffer some consequences of it. And so I think in, in some respects, the uh, rule of law, the so-called rule of law uh, prevailed in the Bannon case. Uh, I think that what may make Trump a little bit uneasy is that there are others who are out there who are defying subpoenas, who if they see that Bannon has gotten a four month jail sentence might say, well, you know what, maybe I should testify. <laughs> and um, so it, it, it could be that um, there is some ripple effect on those who are also holding out. Um, others are pending sentencing, rather, pending um, trial on contempt for for this. Navarro, right, is, right. is pending. Um, so maybe he thinks, well, I should perhaps talk. So yeah, if, and if he has something to say that Trump knows about that can be uh, damaging to his legal status, then sure, maybe. I'm gonna go out and say, look, and John, you know, you know I've been, I think that the Bannon sentence has Trump a little more frightened than he's letting on. And the reason why is I think that we're all making the supposition that the Republicans will gain control of the House. And I'm not so sure the Republicans are sure they're going to gain control of the House. And should the Democrats keep control of the House, the Bannon sentence is an indication to Donald Trump that he may indeed though if the democrats win or hold on to the house in the midterm i don't think there's any doubt that that january 6th committee will get a will be renewed and at that point in time uh donald will have to face a real very real possibility i think of having to spend four to six months in in, in uh, orange jumpsuit for defying the subpoena but then again, I, I think that Donald Trump is going to be facing indictments before too long within the next couple of months. And I think from Georgia is where it'll come. And I also think from the, uh, um, the uh, search of Mar-a-Lago, I think that's a slam dunk on obstruction. So I, I think that Donald is, is more far more frightened than we think. John? I know you are not out on a limb, but you're perched on a branch that uh, perched on a branch that that Democrats might hold on to the house somehow. Uh, let me, I will go out on a limb. 
I'm I, I'm still not ruling out that Trump that that Trump shows up and testifies before the January 6th committee. And let's fast forward. Let's let's say your branch becomes a tree and House Democrats do hold on with, you know, a three seat, five seat majority in the House. January 6th committee continues. Liz Cheney won't be in the next Congress and Adam Kinzinger, the two Republicans. So I don't know if Pelosi and Benny Thompson can find a Republican or two to take their place on the committee. Then they'll probably put two more Democrats, probably two more, you know, moderate minded Democrats. Then it's a Democrat only committee. Then Donald Trump, if he's not, you know, he could be facing indictment and decide to run in 2024. By the time we get to that point, it's February, the committee's getting back to work, it's all Democrats. There is a political incentive then for Donald Trump to, to show up and try to own what's a Democrat, all Democrat committee, right. and to show up and try to own the libs. So I'm not ruling out if the if, if Democrats hold on to the House that Trump doesn't show up February, March of next year. Voluntarily. He hasn't ruled it out. He hasn't said That's no. True. That's true. He hasn't right. said no. Now he's going to keep this going to keep himself in the headlines because he loves it. Because he's a, he wants money. <laughs> and to raise money on it, right? That helps. So there are a lot of reasons for him to not rule it out. But I know, got 12 emails from him this morning telling me he's selling me golf balls, hats, shirts, pictures. I got I, I can't find anything in my in my work email because both sides are sending so much fundraising email. Yeah. Uh it's 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 pretty ridiculous. But I'm just saying. February, March of next year, if it's all Democrat committee, they find two more Dems to put on there. If they do hold the House, you know, I, I, I'm just not going to rule out that he doesn't show up. That would be interesting. We're going to I tell you what, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more on this. And of course, the infamous Harmon Killebrew versus Boog Pal debate. So Ooh. stick around. <laughs> hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's just ask the question. I'm your host, Brian Caraman. I want to go back to something we talked about, about (coughs) Donald Trump being nervous. And uh, uh, Michael, you brought up in the break that where we wanted to go with that. And it's the Eastman. Uh, emails are evidence of a crime, according to a district judge. And that has got to make Donald Trump just a wee bit nervous. Does it not? I I would think so. What this case is about is an effort to get from Eastman, who was Trump's lawyer, uh, working on the efforts to delay the certification and the various state actions, Georgia and Pennsylvania and others, they, they sought his emails. He resisted uh, turning them over because he said they contained attorney-client privilege. That went to a court 
in uh, California, and the judge, David Carter, ruled that yes, some of those documents do in fact contain attorney-client privilege material and they can't be turned over, but 33 of them um, were ordered to be produced because he said, while they may have attorney-client privilege sort of overlays to them, they satisfy the crime fraud exception, or put another way, they are evidence of criminal conduct. So what are those emails? And those emails essentially say, one, look, we know the numbers that we're putting forward in, in these court proceedings to say that there was fraud are not true, but we're gonna do it anyway. And second, that even if they're not true and we're not gonna win, it still allows the case to be, the certification to be delayed. And so anything that lets us delay the case and have it pending before a court is good for us. Remember there was an email right. from Trump, just say, to, this was to the Justice Department, just say you find evidence of fraud, even if there isn't, um, and, and leave, it to, from there. leave it to me and the Republicans in, yeah. in Congress. So what this court said is there's evidence that that which they presented in court as true is not true, and that they were filing these cases in bad faith. Those are serious, and the, and the judge said it's evidence of a crime. Um, and that's what kind very, of crime and what would be punishable? What would be the punishment? Well, these are these are obstruction of official proceeding and 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 fraud. And the, they all carry sentences of five plus years in, in prison and fines. So it is a serious proposition and it feeds right into what is being investigated in, in, in Georgia, because if what they're these emails represent is what we're doing in Georgia is not true. The Trump email, the East, Eastman email says it's not true. It's not factually true, but we're doing it anyway, just for delay purposes. Well, Fannie Willis then says, well, that's exactly what I'm investigating. Yeah. I'm investigating whether or not you endeavor to interfere with the certification of the Georgia vote. And if this, this evidence says you knew you were doing that in bad faith and you did it anyway, well, that's exhibit A for her indictment. Yeah, and, and is, uh, well, okay. John, you think that makes Trump nervous or, or, or do you think Trump doesn't give a shit? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I don't think Trump uh, gives that much about others, but- Yeah, he cares um, about I, his own I, ass. <laughs> I, I think he has to, again, I think he is nervous. Uh, I think he should be nervous. And, you know, he's got to feel, again, like we've said earlier, that the walls are closing in. Um, I, I don't, you know, there's never, you know, a really sound legal defense or argument that comes from his camp. I'm not a lawyer, but, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem that way to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. And yeah, witch hunt have, don't really cut it in court. <laughs> yeah yeah so he tries to run a pr or a political campaign in court and um no i don't think that's gonna cut it um i didn't watch his rally last night but you know he's not Good lord he's not um 
he doesn't seem that different to me at those events when I do watch them or, or watch the yeah. replays. You know, he seems his his normal self, but but you know, we know that he views politics as a television show. So you know, he's probably putting on he's always putting on something of an act. Um, That's his but, whole but, life. Yeah, but you know, but behind closed doors, you know, we've we've got some reporting from Maggie Haberman and others that he is nervous and and i think for very good reason yeah well and in fact in fact on the tv shows on um cnn and msnbc where you now have some trump communications former trump communications people who are offering political opinions and who are i guess still connected to trump orbit people because they were all friends at one point um they say that Trump is is nervous, that there are things about the various cases that make him nervous. Look, I can read you something, it'll take a second. This is from the opinion of um, Judge Carter in that Eastman's uh, right. uh, email case. And he writes, the emails between Eastman and Trump, the emails show that President Trump knew that the specific numbers of voter fraud were wrong, but continued to tout those numbers both in court, which would be under oath, in court and to the public. The court therefore finds that these emails are sufficiently related to and in furtherance of a conspiracy to defraud the United States. That's the finding of this district court judge. So, I mean, when you have a district court judge who says, I find that there is sufficient evidence of conspiracy to defraud the United States, and you know the Justice Department is investigating that exact question and that the uh, state version of that is exactly being investigated by uh, Fannie Willis in North in uh, Georgia, it's hard to think that that doesn't make you nervous. Yeah, well, Donald Trump's an idiot. So I, you know, I, that's how you wouldn't be nervous. <laughs> I want to, yeah. The, the letter that the January 6th committee sent to Trump with the subpoena on Friday, that letter is, is really something and the things they're asking for. And I wanted to ask Michael this, how should the, how should, how should I, and uh, also the listening audience, how should they view that letter, especially, you know, they're asking for communications from, you know, September 30th to January 20th and, and December 17th, I'm just throwing uh, dates out now to January 8th. So they're asking for specific things. They're asking for specific kinds of communications they're asking for signal messages how should we read that because to me that someone ratted like, them out right that sounds to me like they have a lot of stuff that for for reasons we don't know right now they didn't bring out in these public hearings maybe i read it as they have a lot more stuff evidence that they're going to hand over to doj in a few weeks but but i michael you would know better than me how how did you view that letter I read it that same way, John. I think yeah. when you, if you look at the subpoena itself, the subpoena says this is a multi-part investigation and they list all of the various ways in which they thought that Trump behaved um, improperly. But then at the end of the, after the subpoena is signed by Cheney and, and Benny Thompson, there's a schedule. And right. if you look at that schedule, it's a very specific ask of Trump, and it relates to, I think, what you say, John, is evidence that they already 
have answers to. And if you look at it, they want all records and telephone calls and text messages sent through signal or other means placed by you or at your discretion right. on January 6th, including any records of calls you joined as an active participant. All records and recordings and text messages through signal or others placed by you at your direction for activities between November 3, 2020 and January 5, relating to the way the 2020 presidential election and joint session of Congress was taking place. These are very specific requests and what they seem to say, yeah. and here I'll read you one more, which is um, to the extent that we haven't already asked for it, we want all communications between November 3rd and January 20, 2021, between you and Roger Stone, Steve Bannon, Michael Flynn, Jeffrey Clark, John Eastman, Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, Boris Epstein, Christina Bob. I mean, it's a it's a who's who. It, uh, yeah, it's, it's a it's the dirty dozen. And it's an all star team. It's, it's an all star all -star dirty, team. But I'm going to go farther than my Michael I, and John. I'm going to push a little harder than that. I think having read that, what that tells you right there is. By the way, here's all the information we got from Mark Meadows and Jared, uh, whom you haven't heard from publicly for a while. So, all right. I mean, they're going to know exactly where that came from. And I'm telling you that that at the end of the day, that's what makes Donald Trump more nervous. Somebody ratted his ass out. And I'm uh, and now Michael Cohen thinks it's Jared and others think it were, was Jared and Meadows. But both of them have been notoriously not out there in public for a while. So I'm going to say that that when I read that, not only did I see that there was information they already had, but I think it pointed to where it came from. And that's uh -huh. what makes Donald Trump nervous. He yeah, knows. Well, he knows where that came from. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it came from a lot of points. I don't think there's one person who has knowledge of all of this stuff. I, I right. think Cohen may be right to say that information may have come from information provided by Kushner or Meadows. But in, in doing these sort of investigations, you triangulate, you, you ask people different questions, then you put the pieces together. Yeah, I'm sure Cassidy and Hutchinson supplied him with info. I think a lot of people, Cipollone, I mean, I think there are yeah. tons of people that they put this mosaic of information uh, together. And I think that what is significant about this subpoena is that what they seem to be saying, you know, without saying it directly, is we believe that you and we believe that you engaged in a conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding at best and engaged in a conspiracy, a seditious conspiracy to overthrow the government at worst. And here is the list of things that we think will support that. What do you have to say about it? So yeah. it's a very pointed request, which is why, John, I think the likelihood of him testifying um, is, is diminished because of the specificity of the questions that uh, have been asked of him in the subpoena and which would be asked orally in, in the course of a, of a hearing. He, he would have a very hard time being truthful in respect of these questions or he no, no michael just stop just stop donald trump has trouble being truthful always you just no, you can end the sentence there <laughs> no but, except yeah. that it's 
Right, except that being truthful under oath in a public hearing or, or even truthful under oath uh, in a, in a um, non-public hearing is a very different matter because a lie in that context is a felony with each question asked and answered. That's of course. Not true. Do you think Donald Trump cares? He'll simply hire a lawyer to delay it. And I've never seen the guy accept responsibility for anything that he's done. So if he wants to push, I don't think he'd have any compunction uh, against lying. In, in well, then, then if, if, if that's the case, then his strategy has to be that in 2024, there'll be a turnover of the administration and the new Republican attorney general will drop all of these investigations because the that's turning exactly over- right. Well, but the turning over of that, but it will take it won't take that long. Is is the issue? It won't well, take that long. I think Donald Trump is always playing the long game for delay, and that he'll try and delay and delay and delay until he gets some someone who will do what he wants to do. Yeah, you know? I think I think in this case that's 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 very that's very hard to accomplish. Oh, I, I agree. I'm just but saying. I think that's where his mindset is. I know, but you've got two and a half years. Uh, for the Justice Department to make a decision about whether or not there's obstructive conduct. Sure, but, but Donald Trump is, is engaged in that same kind of conduct his entire life. What's Where has there ever been any evidence to him that he could not do it, continue to do it? I think he oh, we're, 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 we're believes the, that he can stall it indefinitely. That's what I think is, is all his motive is. Well, but, and, and, you, and you may be right as to his motive. What I'm saying is that in practical terms, it may be hard for him to delay this. Your lips to God's ears. <laughs> well, look, we haven't talked about it, but while, we, while we're on this topic, I mean, the, the evidence that's coming out now in the Mar-a-Lago documents case is pretty telling stuff that there's stories in the press that some of the documents he held contained nuclear Iranian nuclear uh, secret stuff, which has got to be as highly and classified Chinese. And, and Chinese stuff as highly classified as it is. And you have reporting that he had knowledge of a subpoena and asked people to move documents out of that storage room into the residence. Now you'd have to prove that he did that with the intent to evade the subpoena but the, the indications would be that if you ask somebody to do that in the aftermath of receiving a subpoena and you have on video them moving it and you have a certification from his lawyer that all documents were previously uh, sent over to him, that's a pretty straightforward obstruction of well, justice decision. And that's not going to take two and a half years. No, but here's the question. Didn't he just put it to, didn't Donald Trump just erase all of the, the concerns about that when he came out and said, he, he no longer says the FBI, you know, planted evidence. He's saying, he said in a rally, this shit's mine, give it back. <laughs> that's, I mean, I would, well, if I were the prosecutor, I would go, look, this is obstruction of justice. It isn't his. Here's a statute that says it isn't his. And here he is claiming it's his. And I, that would be my, that's as open and shut as it gets to me. Well, I, I, what, what he says in public is, is less important than what he says in court filings. And what he has said in the recent filings with the special master, which is what matters 
more is that these documents such as the pardon petitions are in fact his and that he took them because they're his. Now that's, yes. a, much, that's, a, that's, a, but that's much more relevant evidence to a prosecutor than him pontificating at a rally. Yeah, I'd still use the rally video though as, as a closing argument, John. Wow, <laughs> I'm just, uh, no, I, I was just thinking two and a half years we still have two and a half years of this so i was i was less plugged into the and i i think everybody makes some good points uh but i did get lost for a second thinking that we have two and a half, two and a half years, before, years before the presidential election and michael's right that that's just more time for these investigations to go on at the federal and state levels and you know so they don't have to go you know, at warp speed, they can be, they can continue to be methodical and that's going to keep Trump in the headlines. I mean, Trump will keep Trump in the headlines, but you know, every day at four 30 or five o'clock, it's multiple Trump related legal things. Almost every day. Nuts. It's yeah. <laughs> it's almost every day, two and a half years, years of this. Of that. Drive us and all crazy. On top of that, on top of that, we'll have all these house investigations. Well, that's, on top that's, of that, on top of that, next summer we're going to have a debt ceiling fight, and and McCarthy essentially challenged Biden, and Biden this week, except in so many words, accepted the challenge and told the left to shut up about abolishing the debt limit. So it's going to be Trump every day. We get in the spring. It's going to be: Are we going to default? I mean, it just the news just gets it just gets i'm sorry it gets let's, worse let's, and worse and worse let's finish let's finish today i won't even go to the last break let's go let's finish today with that let's focus on the nexus of what's coming up in about two weeks the election is there any way in your opinion john that the democrats hold on to the house i don't think so i continue to think however that the republican majority will be no bigger than no bigger than 15 or 17 seats and maybe not even that big it may be as small as seven or eight but it just depends you know i think i think the president might be on to something he said uh this week that he thinks um the polls will swing back toward democrats of course right now uh we you know we we have another wave of bad economic news uh, gas prices you know the price of everything still up, inflation, recession warnings. There is time, however, for the for it to shift one more time. Uh, so I don't think there's any way that that Democrats hold the House. But McCarthy will have a. I think McCarthy will have a hard time uh, with a seven, eight, ten seat majority because he's got to keep the Freedom Caucus crowd. He's got to keep uh, the Marjorie uh, Green, Taylor Green. I'm not sure what name she's going by she's uh, in the process of a divorce but she, and 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 the matt gates of the world he's got to keep those guys attached to his majority they're going to have a lot of say over what the house passes and doesn't pass to the extent they pass anything but something like the debt ceiling he's going to need all of them um democrats you know pelosi if she hangs around if she's if they are in the minority if she hangs around as the minority leader is she going is, is she going to push a debt ceiling? She probably would, at, at the end of the day, right. um, allow her members to push some kind of debt deal 
across the finish line, um, but she'll hold out. And, and I think McCarthy's going to have a hard time. McCarthy, she's going to make McCarthy either walk across to her office or send his people to talk to her people to ask for help in passing the debt ceiling bill eventually. Um, so I, I, I don't think they hold on uh, to the House, but I, I think McCarthy's going to have a rough time. But you think they'll speaking. hold on to the Senate? I, I, I continue to think we're going to get a, a mixed decision from voters. They're going to give Republicans the House and Democrats are, are going to have a, a one or two seat majority. The key for Democrats in the Senate is to get to 53. That would allow them, at least on paper, to, to, to get a filibuster carve out right. and at least be able to, in the Senate, pass uh, an abortion rights bill. Of course, it would, it would, it would go nowhere in the, house. in the House. But they would still get to say that they passed it. Um, they, they would need 53 so they could change the rule. Um, they don't have Senator Sinema. They don't have Senator Manchin right now. So they need to get to 53 to be able to do that. Um, so, so I do think I think Democrats will will hang on to the Senate, but but boy, it'll it'll be just more of the same. They're not gonna, and, and they won't they won't be able to do these reconciliation bills with just Democratic votes yeah. because the House will be it in Republican happen. hands. So it, that's I think we're gonna get a mixed decision and almost no legislation for the next two. A lot two of fireworks years. and a lot of bad news, Michael. A lot of noise. A lot of noise. So if if it becomes um, uh, leader. Um, McCarthy, is he going to be shedding the same uh, tears as Boehner did, which is, I can't control the, the, these, <laughs> these cats that I'm being asked to herd and sort of throw up his arms and in, you know, sort of disgust? Uh, is, that where, is, that, is that where it heads out? Or is that just on legislation, but they're all in lockstep on investigations? Well, they'll be in lockstep on investigations, without a doubt. That's not even I, that. That's are you kidding? That's catnip to them. That's exactly what they want. But they're not. <clears throat> excuse me. They're not in lockstep on where to ultimately take some that's of the investigations. Yeah. McCarthy this week started telling his people pump the brakes on this Biden impeachment talk. Well, um, Mitch McConnell already said there will be no impeachment of of Biden. He came out and said. Right. They're not, they're not even considering. But that will that will that kind of talk will upset the far right of McCarthy's caucus. And the fact that he's saying it before the speaker election, I think that's that's politically dangerous that's for him because it could cost him the speakership. I don't think if he does become speaker, I don't think he would pull a banner um, because McCarthy so badly wants to be speaker. That's that I think he realizes that's that's his ceiling, that that's that's the highest rung he's going to climb to. Um, and he'll be plenty frustrated, but but I don't see him quitting. Um, right. I could see him. I could see him being forced out, but I don't think he goes on his own free will. As we finish up today, I'm going to say I'm going to I am going to go out on a limb. I've spent the last four or five weeks uh, traveling around the country outside of the bubble. Um, I've, I see two things that are playing in the Democrats favor that gets a uh, little notice in polls or in the news. The infrastructure bill is huge. There are a lot of people that are at work in red states putting together roads and bridges and water and electricity, and that those jobs translate into votes. And I think the Dobbs decision has angered and infuriated even many a Republican women. And I think, and, and I'll go back to my, <clears throat> my in-law in, in Missouri, 
who watched uh, Josh Hawley do his Chariots of Fire impression on January 6th as he ran dun, 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 away and now realize that they're not, that these people aren't who they claim to be. I think there's a real, I, I, I agree with Mitch McConnell's the only Republican I trust when it comes to counting votes. He doesn't think they're going to take over the Senate. I agree with him. And I think, John, the question is, do they get to 53? I think, yes, they will. And then number two, I, I think that it's up for grabs right now. And there's a real chance for the, for the House, yeah. the, for the Democrats to hold on to the House. But if they don't, it's the margin is going to be very, very thin for the Republicans. I think five or six. But um, here's the bottom line. <clears throat> and and the, the reason why I always get so pissed at Democrats, they don't frame their argument very well, right? The, the, why are you even arguing issues with the Republicans? There are more registered Democrats than there are registered Republicans. And if you have 65, 70% voter turnout, there is very little chance that the Republicans will take either the House or the Senate. But that's the Republicans never want you to realize that they're going to turn out their numbers. But it's the Democrats who don't, they fight with each other. <clears throat> so not the not the way the House districts are drawn. I mean, that, that's true. Well, the House, the no, I mean overall nationwide, but as far as the districts are drawn, uh, again, if that if the Democrats show up and vote, even in some of those red, and here's the other problem, pal. They don't. The Democrats don't even put people on the freaking ballot. They concede to the Republicans in many of these places. That's their fault. So we'll, we'll wait and see. I guess. So, but could I just say two things about this? Yep. One, one is we see more and more stories in the paper about intimidating voters that are showing up. And so, and when you see the pictures of people who are being intimidated, they are African-Americans or other people of color um, showing up to, to vote. And so- Vote anyway. No, 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 I, I get that. I, and I agree with that. But when you say, if they would just show up and vote, well, they're making it so much harder to just show up and vote that they're, they're, they know, like you just said, that Democrats outnumber them, um, and therefore we need to, they say, intimidate them, suppress their vote. And this has been going on since the end of Reconstruction. <coughs> of course. It's and this is why they have to look. It, I tell everyone who says this, and, and, and Michael, you make a great point that it, the, the point is in all of this is if you think it's bad now, you have two parties in this country, and one of them doesn't care about the Constitution. Now, I have plenty of problems with the Democrats, but at least at the very least, they're going to make it easier for everybody to vote. So get your ass out and vote because you cannot improve the conditions that we have in this country if you don't. Whatever you do, suffer those intimidations, suffer those deprivations and vote and vote them out. It would make me if, if someone's telling me I can't vote and force and, and trying to intimidate me, that's going to piss me off. I'm going to vote. I, I'll vote just to, to spite them. But you're right, it does intimidate a lot of people, especially older people and disenfranchised people who feel like they have no voice in our government. So let me say two things. One, as you know, I, I host this podcast called That Said with Michael Zeldin. And one of the peoples that I, or two of the peoples, I guess, that I interviewed recently, Miles Rappaport and um, 
E.J. Dion have written a book about mandatory voting. And it's modeled after the Australian system where people must vote or at least show up and, and say, I submit this ballot with no candidate name on it. And this case for mandatory voting conversation that I had on that set with Michael Zeldin is, is really fascinating and, and worth thinking about in the context of what we've been talking about. If it was mandatory to vote, um, and the, de the data out of Australia does not show that it's, it favors one particular party over another. So the notion that one party would be benefited from mandatory voting is just not statistically uh, borne out. So there's that. Second, I'm in the midst of reading, and it'll be released in a few weeks, a book called American Midnight. And this is about the period around World War I. And when you start reading about what Wilson and, and, and company was doing around World War I, it makes what we are living through a cakewalk. Those guys were so intent on undermining democratic freedoms uh, that it really is a, a wonderful book to read. And in some ways they were successful. <laughs> and, and they were successful, they jailed they jailed people for, for, for speaking. I mean, it's unbelievable. Anyway, yeah. so America, America, it's a good book and it'll be released in the podcast. But the last thing I want to say is, I agree with you guys, if they had 53 Democrats in the Senate, then they would be able to pass more stuff um, through the Senate. But with a House that's controlled by Republicans, not, not likely to get through. But what most is important to the Biden administration is at least maintaining 50 so they can continue to push their judicial appointments right through. good point because the 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 legacy of the biden administration may well be that with judicial. Eight, four years in office he has been able to stabilize the courts um yeah. uh, against the 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 long years of republican uh, appointments abuse <laughs> final thoughts uh, john before we take off yeah, I think that's a really good point about the, the judicial nominees. Uh, I wrote a story, a column uh, about that last week uh, and or the week before they all run together. It's all one long week. It feels like. But yeah, um, yeah, there's a lot of concern out there that, uh, for instance, Chuck Schumer didn't bring the didn't didn't he canceled an, a two week October session. Uh, so his folks could go campaign. And, you know, they, they wouldn't have been able to churn. The Republicans are making them run the clock on the floor for all these nominations every second for every nominee. But he could have gotten through a handful in those two weeks. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's what they're really trying to hang on to. Michael's right. It, it's those judicial picks. They want to pass some bills that they can. Um, messaging for 2024. They want, to, they want to at least be able to go when, when, they, when they run in 2024 and and House Democrats run. And most importantly, when President Biden, as he says, as of right now, runs free election. So Biden can say, we passed, this, we, we passed this in the Senate. You need to give us the House back so I can so we can get this through the House and I can sign this stuff into law. Um, that's that's the whole ballgame uh, for them right now. And I'm not sure if the president's running. Um, I'm not sure either after the 60 minutes interview, but but we'll see. Well, uh, and I'll end it this way. Uh, the Guardian came out with a story that Michael Moore thinks the uh, 
Democrats are going to hold on to the House. So now I have to retract my statement because that son of a bitch is never right about anything. But we'll, we'll see. But I, I'll, I'll close it with saying I don't think I do think that the House is in play and the Democrats have an excellent chance to hold on to it. I don't think Trump runs for reelection in 2024, nor do I think that Biden will. And with that said, guys, thanks for sticking around with us and we'll catch you next week. It's just ask the question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us. Hey, just ask the question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q podcast. That's J-A-T-Q podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast.